Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Guys, this is Joe just popping in to ask if you've signed up for your free marketing consultation with MDT Marketing yet. If you haven't, head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, get your free consultation today. Don't do it alone. Find the right partner. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. Always with me, my co-host, Elizabeth Liba. My name is Dr. Joe Salustio. And Liz, I think I'm rusty. I, I feel like you and I haven't recorded in a while. We took a, a week vacation from uh, recording, and I think I'm out of my element right now. How are you feeling? You sound rusty. Do you need a drink of, do you need a drink of water? Um, maybe your, your, your voice sounds a little bit hoarse. And I want to warn you that when you were on vacation, when we were on vacation, then we came back and you had a couple people that subbed for you. And mm-hmm. I did the podcast by myself with some of our affiliates and, and other people that stepped in. People were trying to take your job. Are you serious? Yeah. I just want to make sure that you're just keep, keep your so, head on a swivel there. Because I guess the big question there is, is were you advocating for me or were you <laughs> trying to replace me? That's the big question. I don't, I don't know if we should answer that, to be honest. Yeah, because you know what? You're going to hear because you're going to edit the episode. So I'm, I'm scared if I say something, I'm going to incriminate myself. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that because anyway. I've never thought about editing you out or editing you like to say really silly things, but I'm thinking that maybe that is the way to go for me to have leverage over you at this point. Maybe you should edit in some compliments, edit me saying good things about you. Is it possible to give you any more compliments, Elizabeth? I don't know (laughs) if it's possible. I mean, you just started a new business. Can you tell us quickly about this new business you just started? Oh my gosh. What business? Because I have so many things that I'm trying to do now. I have to- Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't clarify which of the businesses, uh, but you started a website to highlight female black owned businesses. Yes, I have. I started Black Women Handle Business. It's a directory. So it's for black women entrepreneurs who want to just network with other entrepreneurs that want to list their services and products so we can amplify each other so we can support each other. So yeah, that just went live like this week. Well, Uh, since you started that, uh, you have stopped amplifying me. One person that we will, um, and and I appreciate anything you do to help me, by the way, my LinkedIn followers are still a fraction of yours. Uh, I'm at 55,000 as of this morning, but let's not talk about that right now. Let's not talk about that. That's ridiculous. Well, speaking of somebody who is doing a lot of advocating and a lot of supporting others, we have an amazing guest today. I am honored, Liz, you are honored to have him here. Uh, His reach is incredible and the things he's doing are incredible. His name is Francisco Marmolejo, and he is the president of higher education at the Qatar Foundation, and he is in Doha right now. Francisco, how are you doing? Hi, how are you doing? Oh, we're doing well. As you can tell, we Liz and I haven't talked for a while, so we needed to- I can see that you're having fun. <laughs> air our grievances, or more me airing my grievances, and uh, we're glad to have you- And me us. not listening, and me just yeah. <laughs> ignoring you. No, it is, a, it is a pleasure being part of this conversation. Well, we, um, you know, look, we, when I say we're honored to have you, we are. Uh, what the Qatar Foundation is doing is pretty incredible. Um, I had heard of the Qatar Foundation. I had done research in advance. I don't know if everybody has heard of the Qatar Foundation. And if they have, they haven't gotten into it to understand completely what you do for higher education. Can you give us just a once over? What is the Qatar Foundation? Of course, Foundation? absolutely. Absolutely, Joey. You know, Qatar Foundation is is a very interesting organization. I have not, and I can tell you, I have been traveling in more than, oh my God, now almost a hundred countries. And I never have seen anything like that. It is a unique ecosystem in which, you know, you can find anything that you can imagine related to the unlocking of the human potential. It is an umbrella of more than 50 organizations 
uh, in the educational sector, it includes from kindergarten to doctoral educations. Uh, it has, you know, eight uh, very prestigious universities, most of them from the US who have a branch campus there, you know, Carnegie Mellon, Texas A&M University, um, you know, Georgetown University, Northwestern University, Virginia Commonwealth University, uh, Cornell University. They have a campus, all of them, each of them have a campus at uh, Education City, which is the place uh, where um, all the facilities of all these organizations are located in Doha. And also, of course, you have there, you know, the National Research Park, you have the National uh, Library, Qatar National Library, an Oxygen Park, you name it. It is an amazing array of different entities, all of them working in three pillars, education, research, and community development. So it is a unique ecosystem that it has been created uh, since 25 years ago by Sheikh Hamosa, which is the main vision behind this, um, this initiative. And of course that now it has become probably I might say the largest of its kind globally of a multi-campus universities, if you want, um, that it is providing a very interesting educational experience for the students of today, professionals of tomorrow. Mm. So Francisco, your role as president of higher education is to really uh, what coordinate uh, the activities of the eight or nine universities that are members of the, of the foundation. Talk, talk to I me was, about what you do and, and how you do it. Of course, you know, I always when people ask me, what is my profession? I just to say that I kind of between a networking and a net weaver. So basically that's what we intend, what, what we try to do is to see how all these institutions with the great academic offerings they have, you know, can collaborate more effectively, can create new things together can again advance with the ideas about what education and what higher education should be for the future. Let me give you just one example. You know, typically colleges and universities in the world are in theory institutions of innovation, but at the same time are relatively resistant to change. So here at Qatar Foundation, sort of the DNA of Qatar Foundation is precisely to look at disruption, to look at change. So how we can, for instance, make a kind of seamless transition of students from high school to university. How we can, in addition to what students learn in the classroom, create opportunities for them to learn also about other more important skills that are gonna be significant in their life. And how do we provide a recognition for that? How do we allow for students to study something that may go beyond the tradition of the profession, but that they think it is gonna be important for their life? You know, why not a student which is studying engineering, may decide to take a class in music or in literature, or why not a student in you know, the communication sector might be interested in taking a class in biotechnology. You know, all of those things can happen in a place like this, and that's what precisely what we are trying to do. That's pretty amazing. Uh, and Liz, I, I'll bring you in because I know you've got a lot of questions here. I, I will say that uh, um, when you look at the universities and the ones that you mentioned and, and what the student can do and take courses at these different universities, that is something that has been discussed in the United States for a long time about how that's to do correct. that, Liz. That's and you correct. know, that's, that's part of what we talk about all the time. Yeah. 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 You know, it, 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 yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's interesting. You know, all of you, you know, remember when we were students, you know, how difficult it was for us to go beyond the conventions that the profession has created for us. You know, we have the traditional case in university in which the ones who know are the teachers, the ones who don't are the students. And the students not always are being trained to sort of to, to prepare for life. Basically, they are trained to pass the exam. And then they will forget about that because then they will be ready for the next uh, course and with the next exam. So I think unless we provide the students with the opportunity to experience in a more holistic way, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the different realms of life and the way that they are going to be prepared not to change uh, of jobs, but more important, probably to change professions in their life, we are, going, we are not going to be making a, a, you know, a good service. That's what I believe it is important in education. I think we need to make sure that students 
what I think is the most important part if, of the educational experience is not only to learn about the profession, about the, you know, the skills of the profession, but more important, students which are able to communicate properly, which are able to work and believe in multicultural environments, students who you know, are able to, uh, I might say, to have the curiosity to continue learning for the rest of their lives. That's what I believe is the ideal professional of the future. And the students that are global, but at the same time that are strongly committed to the community in which they live. If we are able to prepare those type of professionals for the future, I'm optimistic that we may be creating conditions for a better life uh, in the world. I have a question about like the logistics of how something like that works. And I think one of the things that you mentioned that hit the nail on the head and one thing that we've had a lot of conversations about on the podcast is traditionally higher education has been very rigid in structure. So if you're going to be an engineering major, you have to take 60 credits in gen ed and you have to take 60 credits in your major and it's very prescriptive and you're not really exploring outside of that and a lot of it is teaching to the test as a faculty member which i know it's creditors and you have to make sure that you're within certain outcomes and there isn't a lot as a, as a student just going to a traditional four-year school you want to explore other things that you are interested in, but you're so concerned about your GPA and making sure you meet the requirements of your major and that you don't waste time because you're on financial aid. How are you working outside though, or within those constraints, but still providing more of an expansive and, and, and more of a beneficial environment for the students to learn? And I love the word synergy, creating mm -hmm. that ability to also incorporate the K through 12 system so everything is seamless. Can you explain a little bit more how that whole concept came to be and maybe some advice for those in uh, some of the United States uh, environment uh, or institutions that might be kind of like, hey, that sounds interesting. How might we be able to incorporate some of those concepts or elements? Absolutely, Liz. Um, you know, interestingly, years ago, the first time that I went to the United States, ages ago, I was working, uh, I was an ACE fellow at the University of Massachusetts. And uh, at the University of Massachusetts, at UMass Amherst, uh, there was in, a, uh, in Amherst, there was, there is still, the five colleges consortium. And, you know, the, initially there were four institutions, but those four institutions, Amherst College, Smith College, Mount Holyoke College, and uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst, they were precisely these you know, experiencing that type of problems. And, you know, we cannot do things because the rigid structures we have. So they decided to create a fifth one, which is in Hampshire College. And, you know, the idea of creating the new college was precisely to have in this institution with no curriculum, something that will allow to, for all of this uh, disruption in education to happen. And again, in my life, I was able to experience that many years ago. So now, you know, ages after, I can see that now those things can happen also in a new context. What is interesting is that uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the fact that all those universities that I mentioned to you that are at Qatar Foundation's Education City, one of the main reasons they decided to be part of this is because also they want to experiment, if you want, new ways of teaching learning by you know, working here in this collaborative environment. So the DNA of uh, Qatar Foundation is disruption and collaboration. So this is part of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis here. And of course, there are very interesting things happening on, on that regard, uh, this, you know, recognizing that there is this rigidity in the academic structures, if you want, you know, that's something that is a fact. At the same time, we know that students, um, you know, when they have the motivation, they want to learn all of things. So something that, for instance, we have uh, set up here is what we refer to as the universal skills passport which is precisely the possibility that on top of what you are studying, on top of the traditional curriculum that you are exposed to, you have also the opportunity to add micro you know, credentials, if you want, additional knowledge that you can, for which you can receive a certification that then later is gonna be part of your portfolio, if you want, that you are gonna be able to present to the potential employers when you graduate from the institution. So this is just one example. The other one is in gen ed. You know, the, there is the uh, great opportunity for a second wave of gen ed. 
And if you have all those institutions working together here, it is much easier, as you can imagine, uh, at least, to have, you know, to have them working together in uh, you know, creating new knowledge based on the idea of what are gonna be the needs of the future in our societies. And the third thing that I'd like to mention, Liz, is that a big advantage we have at Qatar Foundation is that since we have also elementary school, secondary school, and high school, then we can put together the entire educational pipeline, if you want, in a way that you know, the skills that we know that are gonna be required by the graduates of our higher education institutions, we can start building those skills since the time that students are in elementary or secondary education. You know, we know very well, at least that, you know, the skills of the future, those skills that we refer to about, you know, intercultural understanding, you know, team building, um, you know, all of those, uh, you know, critical thinking are skills that usually are learned when kids are between 10 and 16 years in, of age. In fact, when they are 18 years old, it is too late for us to do something because it is, you know, it is too late. As simple as that. We so like I to think... show that every day around, you know, <laughs> people show that's that every exactly. day that it's too late, right? We got to fix that. <laughs> exactly. So that's the idea precisely by establishing these integrated processes, these synergies, that all of those things can happen. It's not an easy road, I should confess. But the big advantage is that when institutions are willing to experiment something new, then we can create many more things. I love it. Before I let Joe jump back in, I love that you have named that the universal skills passport. The idea that someone is exploring, learning, traveling, gaining knowledge. I think for me, whenever I would kind of veer off from my major and be like, oh, that's a really interesting class. I, I would feel so guilty. I would feel as though, oh my gosh, it's almost like you're on a diet and then you cheat that one day and it's almost, oh, why did I do that? It's putting myself back, you know what I mean? <laughs> I always would love learning new things, but it would feel frivolous. Like someone would see me taking this class and would have some, you know, just out there name or out there topic, but interesting and, and very beneficial. And if you're like, why are you taking that? Aren't you a journalism major? Like, what does that have to do with it? So you feel bad because it seems like you're being frivolous, you know? So the idea of, naming it that, I think even that contributes to the idea that we're creating learners, we're creating lifelong learners, we're creating Absolutely. students that love to gain knowledge and they can present that as a part of their portfolio of I'm an inquisitive person rather than, oh, let me sneak and take this and hopefully nobody <laughs> will see me going into this building that has nothing to do with my major, right? We saw you this. We saw I know you saw me. Yeah. I would take like, <laughs> like when you took that, uh, what was that class that you took? Was it jazz or? It was a, the, the history, uh, history of jazz history and it did jazz. not perform well in that class. Yes. <laughs> right. But I, I took, I took <laughs> classes like, you know, I, I took like a, actually a dance class and I felt really bad, but I was like, I wanted to take this class. I wanted to take something different. And sometimes you do feel as though you want to explore different things, especially when you're at a big school, because they yeah. have a variety of classes that you can take that you will never have an opportunity to take again. But then you feel as though, oh, if I do this, this is going to totally throw me off. But having that separate, <laughs> actually having something tangible that you can present and say, this is something additional That's to show correct. that I have been inquisitive and I have learned this and you can actually tabulate that. I love that concept. So thank you for sharing that. I think that was really an excellent well, point. You know, and, and Liz, let me tell you that, of course, the challenge also is uh, how do you convince the employers about that? So this is the other part of the effort that I think it is important to make, just to make aware the employers about all these additional things. You know, the fact that students can be valued not only because the degree, the diploma they have, but also because the other skills that they already have. And this is something that, again, in our higher education institutions, sometimes, unfortunately, we forget about it. So we are, somebody was, you know, I remember Arthur Levine saying that we were um, sort of struggling in higher education with the crisis of the Titanic, he said, when the Titanic was sinking. So he says the captain of the ship and you guess in the university who is the captain, uh, you know, decides that the first priority is to save the crew. The second priority is to decide to continue the show. The third priority is to see what can be done to repair the ship. And then the last priority are the passengers. And then that's in a way what happens in higher education. We know that we have a problem. And the first thing that we try to do is let's protect our faculty. And then we say, you know, we cannot close the university. We have to continue teaching. 
And then we said, let's see what we can do to repair the problem, you know, to, to let's create a commission to resolve the problem. And by the time we do something, the students are ready to graduate. So it's, it's part of the challenges that we have in higher education, of course. You know, you bring up something that is, it is so right. And we've talked about it and I talk about it all the time. And uh, I've been enjoying this new app called Clubhouse. I don't know if you've come across that, Francisco. It's a yeah. uh, party line, basically, for adults. Um, and Liz is on there quite a bit, but I've been uh, making my rounds in the educational uh, rooms. <laughs> One of the uh, things that keeps coming up is, yes, we know in higher education, we need a credentialing system. We know, first of all, and by the way, there are so many organizations, employers, universities, uh, non-credited institutions that are offering credentials or skills-based training. There's not a lot of organization around it. You can go get something over here and you can go with something over there. Yeah, it yeah. might be recognized, it might not. And so, we're, but we're really reliant upon in some way the employer to say, oh, look, I don't care if the student went to this prestigious Ivy League University. <laughs> I don't care if the student went to this more private institution. All I care about is that they learn these skills, but the employers Absolutely. are the ones we have to change their mind. We have to get them yeah. to recognize that skills are important and not just the degree is important, right? How do you Absolutely. do that? Uh, and how do you advocate for that uh, in your position? And, and let me tell you something, uh, to be honest with you, we are not reinventing the, or you are not reinventing the wheel here. You know, we have, you know, as part of this strategic planning process that we follow during the entire pandemic year. So the pandemic has been a great opportunity for us to make a stop and to think about, you know, how do we reinvent or redesign our higher education. We explore many models in different parts of the world. For instance, this, this concept about the universal skills passport, it is something that, you know, has been very well developed, guess where, in Malaysia. And you might think, oh, Malaysia, what Malaysia can to offer? Well, they developed a very interesting system, precisely uh, measuring, you know, five different skills of the graduates when they enter school, when they graduate from school. And then, of course, now, interestingly, the students are using this as a, you know, in addition to the, to the typical diploma, the typical, um, you know, of, um, a, a list of courses that you took, um, also, they show this. And of course, interestingly, now you see employers, which are now asking for that sort of additional credential, if you want, in order to de determine if the student has enough entrepreneurial skills, if the student has, you know, strong civic values, if the student has some international experience, and of course, if a student has a GPA of whatever number. But that's what at the end of the day we need to do in our higher education institutions. We need to change. And of course, that requires a lot of convincing, a lot of speaking to employers in this case, to government or regulators, of course, a lot of convincing to parents as well, and definitely, of course, to faculty members and students. I do want to shift just very briefly and have you talk about Education City. So I was looking at pictures. I, I, I mean, I'm speechless. It's with, beautiful. It is unbelievable. I'm literally looking at the website right now and I'm in awe. Like it, what yeah. I wish we, had, we could travel because I would jump on a plane, right? I'm, I'm wondering why <laughs> I'm wondering fun. why when Elvin scheduled this, he didn't get us to to do this live in education. Well, we should make plans. We should make plans for you to come here to Education City. It's an I'm amazing, ready. amazing city. I, I'm going to go pack my bag right now. Yeah, I, I'm telling you. Liz, Liz will walk down the street. Was, uh, I actually had a friend that uh, lived there. My, my college oh. roommate lived in Qatar. Um, okay. She was actually stationed over there when she was um, in the military. And she uh -huh. loved living there. We so. can't get you down the street to go for a walk past your mailbox, but we can get you to Qatar. I'm but in. Uh, looking at this website, <laughs> this is enough to motivate me. <laughs> oh, so, you know so, what? Let me let me tell you, it's it's a it's an amazing city, uh, Doha, and of course, you know, education city in the heart of, the, of of Doha is an amazing place. And now, as you know, the entire country is being prepared for the World Cup, uh, which is going to happen. I hope uh, with no problems at the end of the year 2022. Amazing. Yeah, so amazing. one of the big stadiums of the World Cup is in Education City. And it's a, you know, it, it was built with a lot of sustainable development, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of a focus. So a, a portion of the stadium after the World Cup is over is going to be disassembled and is going to be donated 
to uh, countries that uh, will have also their stadiums after that. So it's it's a very interesting place. Education City is an amazing place. Uh, what I refer to as a, a sort of a very live laboratory of, uh, you know, I might say experimentation for the future. If you're experiencing any level of marketing challenge right now, you've got to ask the hard questions and you need answers. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your future students? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience and future students will respond to? And are you spending more time building reporting than listening in on what your students really want? All of these questions will get answered when you sign up for your free consultation with MDT Marketing. Head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, and talk to MDT. Don't go it alone. Find the right partner. The guys at MDT, the team at MDT is absolutely amazing. Whether your challenge is the cost of inquiries, your melt, your branding, the bad and incomplete information that come with your inquiries, whatever it is, an audit of your challenges will help your institution and it's free. mdtmarketing.com slash edup. It's like a learning oasis. I mean, you, I, I had never seen pictures of it before and I'm looking at the pictures now, just salivating. I'm drooling under my <laughs> desk right now. It, yeah. it looks like somewhere you want to be. And mm-hmm. this, this, th- I think that's the entire point because the foundation is controlling the ecosystem from K-12 or, or however it is looked at there all the way through university. You have the advantage, distinct advantage of taking a student all the way through that journey. And how important is that to the foundation? It is correct. It is correct. And uh, you know, and, and one of the organizations of the ecosystem of Qatar Foundation is the Foundation Education Above All, and that foundation is trying to do a replication of uh, many of the features and the lessons learned in uh, Qatar Foundation um, in, in, in for other parts of the world, and it is uh, providing support for education in um, fragile environments, you know, with the refugee population. Um, There is another entity, which is WISE, the World Innovation Summit for Education, which also is disseminating a lot of information about best practices in education uh, from different parts of the world uh, that is available also for for the public. So there is a lot of, a, you know, public service in terms of disseminating of uh, best practices uh, and lessons learned, uh, because all of us believe that, um, you know, education is at the end of the day, the best investment that any society can make. And is of course also the best tool for intergenerational mobility. And also we know well that education is what it will make a significant difference in the life of people, you know, more economic returns, healthier life, um, more tolerance, uh, more civic values, all of those are elements that for all of us who were benefited uh, with education, we need to make sure that others will benefit from that as well. Liz, if you don't jump back in, I'm going to just keep going because I'm going to keep Francisco here for the rest of the, I don't know what time it is there, but he's going to be going to bed really late tonight if I keep going. (laughs) I want to talk about, and I think you bring up a really good point. And I, I would love to talk about this a little bit more as far as the the synergy between K through 12. And we talk about this a lot. And it's definitely a concern of mine because of the inequity in K through mm-hmm. 12 and us as college educators that when we get to the students that are coming from K through 12, there's such a variety of preparation levels, environments that the students are coming from, um, environments as far as even household environment. And we've seen yeah. that a lot with COVID in that you have some children that they're going to school to get a hot meal or mm-hmm. they have yeah. insecurity in terms of their environment at home. The school is a safe haven for them. And yeah. I think a lot of times in higher ed, we underestimate exactly how much that affects the preparedness of the students because students are coming from all across the community with a variety of different circumstances that they're coming from. And then when we get to K, uh, when we get them from K through 12 and they come to the freshman year of a college, and especially if it's a competitive environment, we expect them to hit the ground running and be prepared and they're just not. 
can you speak a little bit more about yeah. the idea of equity? When you said that really resonated and hit home with me when you said education yeah. first, because I think here in the United States, and I'm from UK originally, so I think sometimes I look at things through more of a global perspective in that we say education first, but education is a commodity. So if you can't afford it, then it can't be first because a meal might be first or your housing yeah. might be first. So how yeah. do we, in, in, in your perspective, as far as the work that you're doing there, how do we resolve that? Or what are some thoughts that you have about the universal access for education and how you're approaching that through your foundations? Well, you know, let me tell you, of course, there is an, it is not an easy fix. And I can tell you, you know, before joining the, the, the Qatar Foundation, I worked for a number of years at the World Bank and working at the World Bank, I had the opportunity to, you know, learn firsthand about the big challenges of, uh, you know, a, I will say e equality of opportunities in education. Let me give you just one, you know, some numbers that, that can give you about the dimension of the problem. It, and that comes from my own country, from Mexico. You know, in Mexico, you have in higher education, for instance, you have too many Mexicans. You have, you know, in, in the lower, uh, you know, uh, quintile of the population, you have only about 5% of uh, students in higher education who come from that, uh, you know, quintile. And then you go to the upper level and then you will find that it's about 70, 75%. So you find within Mexico, you know, the realities of one of the countries that has the lowest access in higher education in the world, which is Malawi, and also the realities of the country that has the highest access to higher education in the world, which is South Korea, in just one country. And then you wonder, what is the problem? The problem is that kids are not prepared. Yes, but it is not as simple as that, as you properly indicate, Liz. You know, the reality is that, uh, you know, there is, of course, a significant deficit accumulated, basically because the zip code, basically because the accident of geography, as I, as I referred to. You know, if you come from a socioeconomic environment in which I, either you come from a rural area or from a, 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 you know, a segment of the population in disadvantage, or you name it, a lot of those factors start to accumulate in such a way that by the time that, you know, many of those kids are ready to go to college, they are going to be out. They won't be accepted in the system. And unfortunately, in higher education many times, also we have the tendency to see, you know, quality as a synonym of selectivity, as a synonym of, um, you know, elitism, I might say. So this is a significant problem all over the world. We need to create more opportunities in order for those students which have been accumulating some of those deficits, first of all, to reduce them as much as possible, but secondly, to create those type of bridge programs that allow those students to go up to the level that the institution is requiring and then be able to get into the sort of the regular pipeline, I might say. So just in the case of Qatar Foundation, but this is not, nothing new. You find that in many places in the world. You find these bridge programs, semester zero, um, you, you name it, you know, they have different programs that are precisely designed to provide the opportunity for those students to you know, arrive to a level in which then they can be part of the, you know, enjoy the educational experience of uh, university. Do we have a solution for that? Of course not. You know, the problem is much larger than you can imagine, but certainly, you know, if, if there is a recognition that we have a problem to begin with, then we are able to find, you know, the solutions. It is not a simple solution because the problem is much more complex than you can imagine, but certainly, this is something that we need to tackle in education all over the world. And I love that you are identifying the idea that that should be a normal part of the pipeline as, as putting the students into this semester zero as a matter of fact. And I think sometimes in higher education, and Joe can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel as though sometimes it's almost like a stigmatize of, oh, okay, this student yep. is not ready rather yeah. than just saying, okay, this is where you start. You're starting here and let's get you into the process and kind of shepherd you through, as opposed to for myself, I teach um, foundational English and it's almost as though the students feel a little bit ashamed or embarrassed because they're not yeah. able to go through yeah. the normal or the regular process of starting. Uh, so I, I love, even though, you know, it seems like some of these things might be a matter of fact, 
the, the idea that they're being incorporated as a matter of fact, rather than being the exception, I think is, is, a, is a part of um, what is making this special, what you're doing there. That's correct. That's, yeah. You're totally right. You're totally right. It's this, and again, this is one of the many dimensions of the challenges that are being faced in, in, in education you know, all over the world. And, and that's why you know, efforts like the, the one that you do with the podcast is very important because you contribute to disseminate ideas to contaminate people, I might say. I might say probably so, sometimes to get people more confused, but that's good. That's if what Liz does. That I, means I, that yeah. they, are, they are concerned about trying to find a solution. Absolutely. I mean, the conversation is good because I think sometimes, especially in higher education, no one wants to admit that they don't know the answers. All of us are supposed to be really smart. So we all walking around as if we know yeah. what's going on. And sometimes we, we're totally clueless. I mean, look at Joe. He's a perfect example. I walk around totally <laughs> clueless all day long. <laughs> There's people with, their, you know, with a lot of education, but we don't have all the answers. So I think the fact that we're saying that, we're being transparent and saying, hey, we don't have the answers, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about- Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's collaborate. Let's throw out some different ideas and the idea of being in a community of learning where you're on this humongous campus and you have several institutions where everyone can collaborate. You can all walk across and it's an Ivy League school here, a state school there, a K through 12 over there. And let's talk about all the different things that Absolutely. we can bring to the table and let's share ideas and knowledge. I love it. I think it's amazing. Well, that's, that's one of the things, to be honest with you, that attracted me to, to come and work at Qatar Foundation because... It is not easy to find those type of ecosystems. There are interesting efforts in different parts of the world, and uh, more and more, I hope these type of efforts may be uh, sort of explored. But uh, unless we find the opportunity to be part of these disruptive ecosystems, we might continue doing things the same. And we have, you know, the reality in, in the pandemic has shown us that probably the normal was the problem, and so the normal after the pandemic will not be the solution. We need to find a new normal, a new way to do things. You know, that's, you, the episode, that's the title of the episode right there, Joe. You got I, it, I right? Did you write it down? Well, I, I did have it and I'm writing it down, but he said so many great things. I'm not sure which one will <laughs> float to the top, but I, I liked uh, when, when Francisco, Francisco, when you said uh, quality is, uh, is not synonymous with elitism. Yes. Said yeah. it in a different way, but I mean, that, that's a, that's such a critical point. That's the way we look at things. That's the well, way we, uh, higher education has positioned itself. And well, you know, what, yeah. what I love about, one of the things I love about what you're doing at Qatar Foundation is, and I look at the higher education stats that you have, there's over 90 nationalities represented yep. in the student body. Yep. And yep. so one of the things our society, and I'm saying global society is struggling with is intercultural understanding. Absolutely. Respectful dialogue. Uh, you know, being able to, to, to be mindful of each other's feelings and, and be able to collaborate even when you disagree with someone. How yep. embedded are those uh, skills or foundational learning? I don't know what you call them. That skills call them, you know, global necessity skills. Uh, how embedded are those in the teachings and learnings at Qatar Foundation from the very beginning well, to through higher education? You know, to begin with, and, and Liz, I'm sure that she, she will uh, uh, recall that because the, the friend she had uh, living here in Doha, you know, Qatar is a, it's a very interesting international community. Um, only, you know, about, uh, you know, 250,000 out of the 3 million people living in Qatar are from Qatar. So the overwhelming majority of the population in Qatar are people like myself coming from other countries. So this is a truly international community, international uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, you go out in the streets and you hear people speaking languages from all over the world. And the same is being reflected, of course, in the ecosystem of what Qatar Foundation is about. And I believe, to be honest with you, that this is the future. You know, this is the future society in which we should, should live, in which we respect our differences, we value our differences, but also we celebrate and we enjoy the diversity of, of uh, today's world. That's the only way that I can see that we can make of this humankind sort of more livable, I might say. And unfortunately, as you know, the pandemic has shown that I, what I refer to, and, and you know, Edgar Mohan makes the point about that when he says that you know, it has shown both the very good of humankind, but also the very bad, the miserable part of, of humankind. 
And, uh, and so we need to make sure that the educational environments provide students with this laboratory, I might say, in which consciously you are aware of the fact that you are preparing students to exercise the capacity of what I refer to as the otherness, the capacity to see, you know, people with different lenses, to see yourself also with different lenses. And the only way you can do that is by, among other things, exposing yourself to that, you know, getting out of your zone of comfort, I might say. Um, secondly, of course, to receive the proper education with a global perspective. So we believe here in Qatar Foundation of what we refer to as internationalization at home, which is not only internationalization being seen as how many students go out, how many students come from other countries, but how do we make of the educational experience of all students an educational experience that also connects them to the world, but also to the community in which way they are living. And of course that requires faculty members to be properly prepared and properly aware of that. And again, the big advantage of this environment in Qatar Foundation is that as we have faculty members also from all over the world, they bring with them also those perspectives to the classroom. So it is uh, something that, you know, all my life, you know, for my work in different uh, institutions, and uh, I truly believe in the value of internationalization in higher education, and that with internationalization in this dimension that I'm talking about, what I refer to as comprehensive internationalization or internationalization at home, because that's the only way that we can prepare students for the challenges of uh, tomorrow. I'm gonna ask one more, Liz, and then if you wanna uh, ask any others and take us home. Francisco, I have to ask you because we've talked so much about education, and you know this to be true, I'm sure. There are a lot of employers, there are a lot of um, educational advocates that say uh, the, that a college degree is not a necessity anymore. It's in, in doubt. It's um, it's being looked at. Uh, it has inefficiencies built into it, and perhaps a, a student going in into work or going down and getting a certificate would be a better path than going after a college degree. And so uh, you probably know in the U.S. Uh, we have some big companies like Google and and yeah. Amazon and others that have invested a lot of money in creating uh, certificate pathways to credentialing to work and really sidestepping the college degree. What's yeah. your take? You said it at the beginning, but I really want to have you take this point and run with it. What's the worldview? Because you're in the center right now, literally, if, if you've got 90 nationalities around there and you have multiple institutions, you have people from all over the world. What's the worldview on the value of an educational degree? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, uh, you know, those voices, uh, of course, are voices that we need to listen and to pay serious attention to. Uh, they make the point about the uh, sort of uh, limitations and inadequacies, I might say, of, uh, of higher education. And a, a good chunk of that criticism is valid. There is also a little bit of a significant exaggeration in many things, I might say. Still, there is not substitution for the value of higher education uh, in terms of the, the factors that I was referring to. Um, a, you know, in terms of it is not only about the knowledge on the profession, but also the, the, uh, the capacity um, or the sort of the experience of, uh, you know, the, the, the development of the social skills and many other skills that are equally or even more important for, for, uh, for the successful uh, citizens and professionals of uh, the, the future. So, you know, what they say is a significant wake up call. We need to pay attention to that for sure. But also, we don't, we don't, we don't need to de de diminish, I might say, or dismiss the value of uh, the educational experience. First of all, because the educational experience is not only in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom. And what we need, you know, what we do in higher education is precisely being able to pack in that stage of life of the students all those things in order to prepare them for life, uh, you know, once they go out of college. But for sure. In higher education, we need to make significant changes. We need to uh, sort of uh, go over many of the assumptions that I say, the dogmas that we traditionally had about what is good and what is bad, and then to be unwilling to challenge our assumptions. You know, interestingly, we uh, in collaboration with um, 
the Economist in the UK, we put together a report on the, the new schools of thought. And I, you know, for those who are interested in that, they can download it from uh, Qatar Foundation's website and or from the Economist website. Uh, it's a very interesting report, precisely talking about many of those challenges, many of those inadequacies of higher education, but then how we see in different parts of the world different ways that higher education institutions are truly adapted, adapting in order to cope with those deficiencies that are being seen. And certainly the pandemic, you know, has basically, uh, you know, we, we learned very good, you know, very sharp, you know, very good lessons in the short term. We learned that we were not prepared for that uh, situation globally. We learned that the um, operational environment of our higher education institutions is much more fragile than we can imagine. We learned that we need a new type of leadership. We learned also that the, you know, going online is a short-term solution, but it's not a panacea. But I think the most important thing that we have learned, uh, Joe, is that we learn to challenge. That is good, that is okay to challenge our assumptions. That is okay to say, why do we are doing this? Cannot we do that in different way? Even if we don't have the solution to that, just the fact of challenging those assumptions, to me, is the beginning of the solution of the problem. And we have many you know, deficiencies on that in higher education. We, th we tend to think, for instance, that rankings are the best proxy of good education. And I always make the point that why rankings? You know, Rankings are, at the end of the day, a unilateral definition of what is a good university, which is the decided by the ranker. So we follow the game of the ranker by knowing that you know, this is a good institution. And look at, for instance, some of the indicators of the ranking. How selective is your institution? So basically, they are measuring a good institution, not for the capacity of inclusion, but for the capacity of exclusion. The more you take out, the more you exclude, the better you are. That's wrong. Those are one of the things that we need to change in higher education. And I think, again, those voices are important. We need to listen to them, but also we need to listen to them in order to reinforce and to do well what we should do in higher education. Well said, Liz. Absolutely. That was just a mic drop moment, that idea of inclusion rather than exclusion, internationalization at home and celebrating diversity. I mean, you've said so much that really captures exactly what we need to do as a sector moving forward in order to be successful. So we really appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Your insights have been so valuable and we wanna be respectful of your time. And again, appreciative of everything that you have shared with us. We just wanna finish out with asking you our last couple of questions which you, you've touched on a lot of these things, but just give you another opportunity just to close us out with any last words of wisdom. First, if there's anything that we haven't talked about in terms of the Qatar Foundation and any initiatives or, or things that you guys are offering or have coming up on the horizon. And secondly, what do you see as a future for higher education? Thank you very much, Liz. I should say that I, have truly enjoyed this conversation. Um, it's it's a it's a, an, an an excellent way to uh, explore and to dream together about a better future. And um, a, uh, you know, Qatar Foundation again, an interesting ecosystem. I just like to make an invitation. Those interested, you know, can contact me and um, a, to further learn about it and also to a a. a uh, why not someday to visit Qatar Foundation and to connect with uh, many of the entities that we have here in place. Um, and the new higher education strategy at Qatar Foundation is something that we are precisely working on right now. We, con we consider that as a permanent work in progress and always interested in listening from good ideas that can come in the horizon in this uh, significant laboratory of innovation that is Qatar Foundation. Now, regarding the future, Liz, I truly believe that you know the future is not something that you can guess by uh, you know taking a look to a crystal ball, or that you can extrapolate using a complicated mathematical algorithm. To me, the future is what we can build today. And um, you know, if we think about where we are right now, and we think about where we were 
in our personal lives 20, 30 years ago, and we try to understand what or what we did 20 or 30 years ago or what we didn't do explains where we are right now. That's basically the kind of exercise that we need to make to the future. We need to define where do we want to see ourselves? Where do we want to see higher education? And we need to start building that today. The future is not something that we guess, that we extrapolate, it's something that we build. And I you know, like to finish my, my comments by using an, a quote that I always like to quote, which is from Paul Valeri, who said almost a hundred years ago, he says that what concerns us about today's world is that the future no longer is what it used to be. And I think that's where we are right now. This is the type of world in which we live. The future is no longer what it used to be. And if we want to have a better world, a better education, a better higher education, it is time to start building it. And that's what I'm trying to do on my day-to-day -day life. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am thoroughly uh, motivated right now uh, by this episode and inspired. And his name is Dr. Francisco Marmalejo. And he says he's such a humble man and an amazing person. But I'm going to throw the doctor in there because, you know, you earned it. Um, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. He's the president of the higher education a president of higher education at the Qatar Foundation. And when I say it was an honor to have you, sir, I really mean it. Liz and I were thrilled uh, when we found out we were going to interview you. Um, and I encourage everybody to connect with uh, Francisco, reach out to him, um, learn about the Qatar Foundation, look at the pictures of Education City, because you probably won't look at anything better for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, we appreciate you so much, Francisco. Thank you. It is a pleasure. Thank you very much to both. Hey everybody, we hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edup Experience. To learn more about the Edup Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast, head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the Edup Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edup Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.